the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, it's the only app you need. Start on the web, go to, go to theathletic.com slash spot track, S P O T R A C, and register for 40% off that first year. Then download the app and log in. Tell them which sports you love. Tell them your favorite teams. You'll get tons of content on a daily basis from all of the reporters you probably grew up with because most of them now work for The Athletic. Again, that's theathletic.com slash spot track. My name is Mike Janetti. Taking a, a gather of week three here, at least most of it, from Thursday through the uh, most of the Sunday games. Just t- things that stand out, financially speaking, rosters, injuries, uh, some of the team construction, some of the divisional breakdowns, where some of this may be going in terms of that AFC South, right? Is Jacksonville for real? For real? What kind of loss did we see today for the Bills and the Chiefs? And just how to shake out this NFC. And then I flip over to uh, Major League Baseball. There's a new contract in Seattle I break down. Albert Pujols continues to do magical things. What does that mean, financially speaking? What does that mean for the Cardinals? And of course, the Cleveland Guardians have wrapped up this division, something nobody saw coming except for Cousin Dan and via proxy, me. And I discussed that as well. And then at the back end, CJ McCollum's extension with New Orleans is, for most people, just another $64 million extension in the NBA. But for me, a little bit more impactful. I really like it a lot. And if you can stick it around for the back end of the show, I'll explain what I mean. Week three of the NFL season is here. About halfway through now. A couple of big matchups I think could, uh, could have long-term at least carry through. I know it's early, but Bills-Dolphins looks real. Packers-Bucks looks real. And by the way, both of those matchups had significant players missing in significant positions. So Josh Allen kind of, uh, I don't know, one of his, his not-so-eloquent games, let's put it that way. A couple of mistakes, a couple of uh, mistakes at the line of scrimmage, mistakes with decision-making, and just flat-out execution mistake. But to speak to some of those injuries, the Bills' secondary was decimated. We kind of knew it was going to be after last week's last week situation with both Micah Hyde and Dane Jackson. The lowest financial secondary in all of week three. By a, by a wide margin. So if I tell you that the Ravens have 33 and change million allocated to their secondary right now, the Bills, only, the Bills brought 5 million into their starting secondary for week three against the Dolphins. We knew it was going to be a thing. If you go down the line, the, the Bills were inexperienced slash inexpensive in a lot of the major roles here, right? And then it was just a war of attrition. I mean, anybody who watched that game could see that the heat was a factor. Not so much in the Tampa Green Bay game, even though both were in the Florida area. But the Bills just, uh, I'm not going to say this was a setback game. It might have been for Josh Allen mentally and physically as well. By the way, an x-ray after the game, as I think many of the players on that field will be doing. But it was certainly a matchup worth watching. And I think uh, the December matchup back in Buffalo is going to have major implications. How could it not? The Miami Dolphins are now 3-0. Only Miami and Philadelphia carry that badge. And switching gears across the league here, how about the Raiders being the only 0-3 team right now? The Raiders. I mean, we knew that division was going to be brutal, and they are losing close games. And I think this is exactly what the experts and the Sharps were saying was going to happen. They just simply weren't deep enough to go 60 minutes with some of these big boy teams. Now, that's going to change, I think, significantly. 
Maybe not so much because the Raiders are better, but there's going to be more games like Bills v. Dolphins. It's just the nature of this sport. And you have to be deep enough and you have to have some luck and you have to have a couple of things bounce your way. The Chargers, boy, it's like an annual tradition now and I hate to say it out loud because I really love the way this team is constructed. Maybe five out of the six past seasons, they've been one of my favorite constructed rosters. Herbert's trying to push through this thing like an animal. It doesn't sound like the Joey Bosa injury is going to have good news. J.C. Jackson couldn't go again today. The center couldn't go again today. You know, an all-pro center. They're just continuing to be banged up. Keenan Allen, again, right? Another annual tradition, unfortunately. They just, uh, sometimes this happens in the preseason. Sometimes this happens by week six. Week three, you're in, and there's major, major, major injuries that are going to hold this team back. There's absolutely no question about that. And I don't know why Justin Herbert played 60 minutes today, but We'll see what, the, what can happen with that roster going forward. It sure seems like that they are taking their lumps right now. And that could be to the Raiders' benefit over the next couple of weeks if that division starts to thin out at least a little bit. Speaking of which, Kansas City takes a tough loss to the Colts, who battled. They don't look good. Indianapolis, they, they've really got to figure who out, out who they are, what Matt Ryan can be. Clearly, that didn't happen over the offseason because they have tried different variants of this offense. And Frank Reich is certainly smart enough to get this thing to the finish line in terms of a successful season. But this, that does not look like a team that can roll out of that division. Let's put it that way. Even though Houston stepped back and Tennessee just fell off a cliff. So I have to get to the point. I mean, Jacksonville looks excellent. Feisty, intelligent, young and athletic. They, they added speed this offseason. Some say they overpaid, right? Zay Jones slash Christian Kirk. I don't. Evan Engram on a one-year $9 million, That's no problem for me. If you can have some sort of red zone reliance like that. I just think, as I mentioned, sometimes you hit lightning in a bottle with a major offseason. And I believe both Philadelphia and Jacksonville have done that successfully. Now, again, it's three weeks in. A lot can go wrong. A lot can change. A lot can just simply flatten out. But for now, Jacksonville's beating the teams they have to beat, and maybe a couple they shouldn't have. And they're going to be the talk of the town because Trevor Lawrence is starting to look Trevor Lawrence-y. They haven't even gotten ETN going. I think that's another weapon to be added here because James Robinson is still taking the, the lion's share of those rushes. And Christian Kirk is a major factor. He's an X factor to that offense. He's an upgrade that they have not had since Allen Robinson. So no question that some of us kind of uh, sniffed in the preseason that this team was certainly going to take a step forward. Uh, there was even some talk about, could this be this year's version of the Bengals? Carolina's had some of that. Both of them are going to have above average and below average weeks. I think that's just the nature of how they're constructed. Now, advantage Jacksonville, because I believe Trevor Lawrence is not Baker Mayfield in a positive manner. So I give that an edge. I believe Doug Peterson versus Matt Rule is advantage Doug Peterson. So I think from an opinion standpoint, and by the way, O-line healthier, O-line better, Jacksonville, D-line better, secondaries are kind of pushes. But two teams that I think could sneak up on us here in terms of, I don't know, eight, nine, ten wins, maybe ten. Can Jacksonville get ten wins with this division looking like it does? If Indianapolis doesn't figure this out, I have to give them the edge here especially in those matchups. So obviously that's the story to talk about. Just a quick spin around. Uh, Cincinnati's finding their legs. Obviously they've got the weapons to do this. 
They just have to settle in, maybe get a little healthier on the defensive side of the ball, and it's going to be all good to go. Now, are they the best team in the AFC? No. Uh, that's still Buffalo for me. Certainly Miami can be that. But a healthy Buffalo, I think, has shown enough late last year, two-plus two weeks into this year, that when they're up firing on all cylinders, they are not stoppable um, in terms of a 60-minute 60, 60 game. Chiefs, I think, are right there. They stumbled a little bit here. Just a weird game. I think they can run the ball better than they did today, and they will. They've got two to three to four options out of the backfield that Andy Reid's going to figure out how to work with the enemy on. So those are still my teams. You know, I put Miami in that second tier. I don't have anybody out of the South just yet. Jacksonville doesn't belong there just yet. And uh, it's a pretty wide-open situation. The Chargers, I, I believe, have to take a step back here, I believe, because of these injuries. And we'll see what else can come of this in, in the AFC. It's a bit of an up-for-grabs-now situation. It's, it's thinned out quickly. Now, Denver can, have, can, can make a statement tonight. Denver can make a statement over the next couple of weeks and really position themselves nicely. And then Baltimore. And I, I realize I'm leaving Cleveland out of this conversation. I, I just, uh, I need to see that matchup specifically. I want to see where this thing goes down the line here for six weeks before I make a judgment call. And by the way, Miami deserves that same kind of treatment. So the fact that they did what they did today, it stinks that we have to wait till December to see this again because a lot's going to happen for both of those franchises before they match up again. Baltimore and Cleveland, obviously there's going to be a lot of changes, right? Especially at the quarterback position for Cleveland in a couple of months here. Lamar, uh, Lamar has really had to twist and turn here because that offense is weird. And we knew it was going to be. It's constructed to be weird. And is that just the, that Lamar is such a unique unicorn type player that it's tough to fit in a square peg wrong hole situation? Possibly. I'm certainly not sitting there, you know, playing GM for the Baltimore Ravens. They've done a decent job over the past decade or so. But it just seems like this thing's going to continue to be inconsistent until it, Lamar just decides I'm putting you on my shoulders, which he's that type of player at this age. The defense has holes, even though that secondary, like I mentioned, is the highest paid secondary at all of football right now, especially in terms of a weekly starter basis. But there's a lot to like here. I'm not poking holes in Baltimore too much or Cleveland too much. I just think they are in that second tier right now, but both have the roster, the ability at the deadline, and then obviously with the Deshaun Watson situation, chances to get markedly better over the back over the next 13, 14 weeks. And uh, certainly a lot is going to change, but just from early assessments, that's how I see the AFC. I'm not even sure I can speak to the NFC right now. You know, the darling that we all kind of uh, put our hats on, Minnesota looks Minnesota. -y. They look like a team that knows they're good, can play well, but simply cannot put it together with any kind of consistency. It's just going to be up and down. In fact, for me, it's Edge Rams right now. Now, San Francisco's got to show me some more with Jimmy Garoppolo and see if they can round that back into form because that, that was your NFC championship team last year with the Rams. So I'm certainly not going to discount that 49ers roster right now especially with the veteran quarterback back in. But the Rams seem to be doing just enough to get themselves into a successful regular season post, you know, post without overdoing it because they do have that layover from last year. It's a factor. It's a mental factor. It's a physical factor. It's a everybody's got the book on you now factor. Now, they did make some changes as we, talk, as we talked about preseason. 
I think, enough changes to at least shake up the internal and external viewpoints. But I, I see them kind of, in, instead of seeing them as a team that's, that has a hangover or a team that lost a step or subtracted too much this offseason in Von Miller and Owen Beckham Jr. and yada, yada, yada. I look at, at it as a team that is simply taking their time to find their way instead of going, we are the defending Super Bowl champions. We have to play like we are the number one seed every single week. And I, and I actually think it's a very smart approach. They're relying on McVay to, to make adjustments at halftime, and they look like two different teams, first half, second half. That's how the good teams do this. That's how Belichick did this for 20 years. Now, he doesn't have the roster to do it anymore. He's got he's to literally do it every drive, in my opinion, and that's why they're, they're struggling so much in New England. But I think they're taking the Belichick approach right now in Los Angeles, the Rams, that is. That is, let's see how status quo works in the first half without really overdoing it from a strategic standpoint. Let's just see how the roster holds up. We'll tweak it a little bit here and there. Maybe we got to make a big change if somebody punches in the mouth a little bit. Certainly, Buffalo was too much to handle out of the gate. But I actually like the approach that's being taken here. And I think it's going to benefit them later in the year when the divisional games round back in a form they really need to win those things to, fit, to get themselves a good postseason spot. And then certainly in the postseason, they may be able to win that attrition battle because they didn't have the gas pedal all the way down. Now, I'm not saying there's not an effort there. All I'm saying is they aren't preparing and approaching themselves as we're on the top of the mountain, come and get us. They're taking every week as it's just another game. It's just another opponent. We'll see how it goes for a few, for, you know, for a few drives, make a couple of tweaks and go from there. Matt Stafford, you don't have to throw 50 touchdowns. We know you're a capable quarterback. You proved it to us by winning the Super Bowl. <laughs> Cooper Cup, same deal. Now he's going to get his 20 targets, but I think you understand what I'm saying. Instead of acting like the champs, they have reverted quickly, maybe after week one, immediately back to just another team. Let's get this thing to the finish line. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Very smart, very smart move by them. Other than that, who, who's worth talking about here? Arizona's going to be Minnesota. We're going to love them for two weeks and then absolutely be disgusted for a week, maybe two. You know, the Bears are giving it their college try. So is Houston and the AFC, but we, we know where they're going to end up. Dallas, I don't expect it to get any better in Dallas, even if Cooper Rush can play ball a little bit. So Green Bay and Tampa, you know, and to some degree, San Francisco. Like I said, I need a couple of weeks more of Garoppolo to understand that that's going to be what it was last year. But I, I think the matchup of Green Bay and Tampa Bay, again, injuries were built into this matchup. There was some weather. Brady's clearly aged a bit, even though he had a 20-yard run. and a last drive touchdown that could have tied this thing up. But Rodgers is still going to be Rodgers. And, and, and the reason I selected Green Bay out of the NFC to start this year had nothing to do with roster construction, because if anything, they didn't do enough of it. They relied too much on draft picks. They looked like a team that knows Rodgers is gone after this year, and they, they just want to be ready to be resetting themselves in a lot of different positions so that they can figure out the quarterback position as necessary, whether that's through the draft, whether that's Jordan Love, whether that's bringing a veteran and see if they can continue on with the current run, Sands, Aaron Rodgers. But to that point, they also know this. Aaron Rodgers is too damn proud and too damn good to not figure this thing out. It's just been the nature of what he's done. It's why 
he can complain about the lack of draft picks and the lack of help from a weapon standpoint, but he can't complain about his efforts in, in, in making it work because every single year he's either injured and the Green Bay Packers fall apart or they are a factor in the postseason because of him, because he's healthy and available. And week three in, you can start to see a relationship with Romeo Dobbs, you know, working out. Christian Watson's injury might be a problem. It's going to take, you know, quite a while for, the, for those two guys to get back on the same page as you, as you saw in week two. But you can just see more, the more Alan Lazard, the better, especially in that new role. Obviously, he's got a, a kinship with Randall Cobb, and every so often that's going to rear its head up. The more he gets back with Tanya, two years ago was, was maybe his favorite target. It's just going to take some time. And I wouldn't want any of the quarterback there to be making this kind of strides forward with, knowing that the defense can hold its own, knowing that the run game can, bat, can bail them out basically every, every game against every matchup. You know, they can just rely on that if they have to, if the, if the passing game doesn't have a chemistry situation working. But it's going to get there. They, they drafted talented wide receivers. They brought in or kept, you know, capable and able-minded wide receivers. And that's all Rodgers needs. He doesn't need freaks. He had one, and it made his life a hell of a lot easier. But he's proven over time that he doesn't need that. His release is as quick as ever. His accuracy is as, be- as good as ever. And you know that he's in the twilight now. So he's thinking about legacy. He's thinking about, I need to win. I need to win now. I'm not worried about three years. I don't care about draft picks. I don't care about free agency anymore. This is the group right now that I have to win with because next year is a total unknown, I think, for a lot of people surrounding Aaron Rodgers. So that's why I put my cards in him. <laughs> you know, And if it looks terrible for one week, that's fine. He's going to let us all know that the wide receiver stuff has to get better or this organization needs to do a better job. He's going to say it out loud. He's going to say it on Pat McAfee's show. He's going to say it out loud to us. So I just have faith that over a 17-week schedule and an 18-week season, they're going to be relevant. He's going to have more than half of his weeks be magical. They're going to grind it out against teams like Tampa Bay like they did today and maybe get a little lucky here and there. And maybe for half the season, they are just pumping Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, and that's perfectly fine because the defense, defense and run game can win plenty of ball games in this league still. So you toss in that plus Aaron Rodgers and maybe a little bit of chemistry with the new guys by week nine. And I think this is a team that should take a, a huge run in the second half of the season. So that, that's my assessment of three weeks into the NFL so far. Obviously, there's some surprises, positive and negative. But I, uh, if I had to walk away and say, this is the bet I'm, I'm, I'm glad I made, it's Bills, Packers, and the matchup in the Super Bowl. Speaking of bets I made, Cousin Dan is a total homer Cleveland baseball team fan, has been his entire life. Talked me into taking these Guardians to win the AL Central, and boy, did they do that. Uh, This was not a move I thought would hit, not by any regards. I was simply jumping on his bandwagon because he seemed pretty damn adamant about it. We talked about it last show. That, uh, you know, the 79 win assessment that they were given preseason just seemed low and it's worth going over. And in fact, why not go over if they're going to win 80 plus games and let's make it 90, then something has gone wrong with the White Sox and or something has gone wrong with the Twins. Well, that's exactly what happened. Now, they both kind of found their way back a little bit at the end of the season here, but 
It's September 25th, and the Guardians have already won the division. So this was not a nail-biter. They won everything they had to win down the stretch here through September. They had a massive month. They're going to finish it off strong. And they're going to be your division winners out of the AL Central. So uh, of all the divisions, I think that are going to be the most surprising. Now, the Braves coming back and beating the Mets, certainly possible. Wouldn't be a surprise if you're, that's your World Series winners. But the Mets did have a, ca- a capable lead. Um, so it, there'd be a surprise in terms of how far the Mets had fallen to make that happen. There's no question about that. But this is the one that's going to stand out for this season. The Guardians running away with the division, currently up 10 games on the White Sox, 12 games on the Twins, and uh, they got it to the finish line. We'll see if they can become a, a real postseason factor. I don't think Dan is quite as confident about you know, any kind of deep postseason run. But he had this one pegged. He knew that his team was better than was being projected, and that was enough to at least get him to dabble in this kind of situation happening, which is exactly where we are. And oh, by the way, what kind of staying power does this this Cleveland team have? A ton. There's one free agent, and it's a catcher, and they've got two top prospects that are catchers right now, one of which for sure will make the lineup out out of camp, one which other, the other which could be a huge trade piece in replenishing this pool and maybe bringing another pitcher that can eventually replace Shane Bieber down the path here. But uh, they're young. They are team controlled. You know, there's basically uh, 75% of this roster right now for 2023 is either pre-arbitration or heading for arbitration one. That's dirt cheap. Your closer is on a really good value contract. Your center fielder is on a very good value contract. And Jose Ramirez re-upped before the season, which was surprising to a lot of people, myself included. And when you think about Jose Ramirez, who might be fifth in an AL MVP this year, maybe fourth even, at $20 million a year at age 29, it's just incredible value. You know, the guy understood that enough is enough. He doesn't need to be a $35 million player on a bad team. He can be a $20 million player on what he thinks is a good team and is his only team. So there's something to that. And I think him sticking around changed the mindset of a lot of players and fans around this organization. And it got more young guys to buy in and do their pre-arm extensions. And a couple of guys that came up, you could see that there was a sense of urgency for, from the, the prospect pool. Every call-up was the right move. Every button Francona in the front office pulled this year just seemed to work. But like I said, I don't think they have the experience and the manpower to get this thing through the postseason. But you can understand why they're good at this, <laughs> right? You can understand why we're talking about Cleveland and we're talking about Tampa Bay in this regard almost all the time at the end of September. It's not just about having the best players in baseball. It's about having the right group of players and the, and the front office that knows how to manage this thing from a minor league, major league perspective, from a trade deadline perspective, and back to our neck of the woods, from a contract perspective. How do you get these guys to buy in and to stay for 15 to 20% less than what they would make in a bigger market, in the open market, in free agency, how do we get them to sign contracts early? Cleveland's figured it out. Tampa's started to figure it out from that perspective. And the Braves have mastered it. And so has Houston. So there's a lot to think about if you are a mid-major or, or, or even a small market team. Because these are the organizations doing it right. They're not winning divisions by accident. And coming from Dan's mouth here, I can tell you, this was not the biggest surprise in the world. And his pocketbook is a lot bigger today because... He wasn't just being a fan. He wasn't just thinking with his heart. He was thinking with logic. He has seen this team over and over again 
And this roster was just not, not bad enough to be a 70-win team. And now they're not. And we're all richer for it. How about some new money in Major League Baseball? Luis Castillo traded from Cincinnati to the Seattle Mariners at the deadline. Locks in an extension to stay with Seattle. A great move by the organization. And I think a nice deal for both sides here. Castillo's had some injury issues, some consistency issues. There was a point in time where he was one of the most coveted pitchers on that trade market. And uh, his shine wore off just a little bit. But I think Seattle did a good job in bagging him after following up with winning the Robbie, Way, Robbie Ray battle in free agency this offseason. So Ray gets you know, a little bit more on average per year, but on the open market, that's going to happen. They were able to cost control Castillo a little bit because they had him in-house. He had one more year of arbitration left. So he gets five years, $108 million new money. There is an option at the, ta- the back end of this, which I'll get to. Um, but like I said, they're buying out the last year of arbitration here. They did that with $17 million for 2023, a $7 million signing bonus and a $10 million salary for next season. Uh, but look, the AAV is priced right. You've got two $20 million pitchers, yes, but you can, you can handle that when the majority of your roster is team-controlled outside of now Julio Rodriguez, even though the front load of his contract is buying out pre-arbitration and remains pretty cheap. But from a tax perspective, you know, if they have another big offseason and they think they have to add more pieces to this puzzle, they're going to be right up there in terms of tax. And they understand this. That's just something that they're taking into consideration and maybe something that they're willing to deal with because they're a fringe playoff team right now. I think they're going to sneak themselves in. And whether or not they can see it, see it to the finish line this year, I think is irregardless of how they approach next year. They think they have a window right now. It's a good it's a good way to operate. They've got their superstar in J-Rod, even though the back issue scares the hell out of me a little bit. But as of right now, they've got, you know, $109 million locked into their tax payroll for next season, 2023. The threshold's going to be $233 million. That's with seven rostered players. So they're a little bit top-heavy. They're going to have to thin some things out, maybe bring up some prospects that remain cheap. They know how to do this. They're not unlike Cleveland in this regard. They've handled this stuff in the past. It's been a while. It's been a minute. But I do think that they've got a front office that's aggressive, has always been aggressive, loves to make trades. Maybe we see some players sent away in terms of depth, in terms of more pitching rotation, because that's clearly where they're lacking right now in terms of down the line. Great deal, though. Albert Pujols gets to the 700 mark, something I don't think anybody's thought, thought coming before the season. I mean, it's just been a remarkable second half for Pujols. The numbers speak for themselves. You don't even hear them from me. They're everywhere on Twitter. They're everywhere on TV. It's just been an absolute blast to watch this and to follow this. And, you know, to have it happen in Dodger Stadium, it's a little bit romantic, right? Baseball baseball do this to you every now and then. You know, just like, you know, we're waiting for Aaron Judge to hit this thing against the Red Sox, which would be romantic. We know how this stuff works. Every so often, baseball catches up with you like that. But, 700 home runs. I'll give you the numbers on Pujols financially. $341 million earned after this season. He's making $2.5 million this year as what was supposed to be a complete role player for the, for the Cardinals, but he has been much more than that down the stretch. $341.7 million earned is third all-time behind Alex Rodriguez and Miguel Cabrera. That's it. And that's it. Verlander's $40 million away from that. I think maybe he gets to that, gets to that point with, with one more contract. Grinky's not going to get there. I don't believe Kershaw catches him. So we're talking about a young group of kids that have to come up and uh, lock in two to three contracts. 
to approach where Albert is financially speaking right now. It's just not seeing 23 year careers happen, every, you know, with any kind of regularity. So it's a, uh, it's a big number. It's the third highest number in the history of baseball. And what a swan song, what a swan song. Couldn't be happier for 700 in Dodger stadium in a Cardinals uniform with uh, what could be a magical season. Cause I don't think those Cardinals are walking away quietly here. They're a, a potent national league opponent right now. And the Mets and Braves do not want to touch that team, especially with the magic wearing off on Albert here. And finally, a switch to the NBA. CJ McCollum locks in a two-year extension with the New Orleans Pelicans. That marriage worked out quickly. <laughs> I mean, talk about a guy needing to change the scenery and a team needing somebody like him, right? That veteran presence, presence from a guy who doesn't require the ball 100% of the time, is, is built in to be a role player and play against the Zion or play against the Brandon Ingram. It's just a really nice situation. It's a great fit. It's a great move by the front office in New Orleans, and locking him up seems like a no-brainer. Speaking of career earnings, this now makes C.J. McCollum a $280 million guaranteed NBA player. So if you think that's a big number, it is. And if you think that's not going to be surpassed by a hell of a lot of players, you're wrong. Because we are already in $60 million per year territory with, the, with basketball. I'm not projecting that. That is just what the mathematics of the cap are going to be, right? The max value of the 35% of where this salary cap is going is going to get us to $60 million per year. Some, some contracts have already locked that in. And that's only going to continue to rise because there's a new CBA. There's new TV, TV rights around the corner. Nobody's saying no to live sports. So yes, McCollum is what can be considered value. Right now that Zion's locked in, CJ McCollum at 32 million per year through 2025, there's a little bit of value in that. And you're going to need that from some of these superstars to counteract the elite players making 60, 70 million every single season, let alone with the tax. Um, it's just the nature of how this thing's going to work out. Is there going to be a bigger gap between the seventh player in the team and the 10th and player in the team versus the one with the two? Yes. There's going to be a time when the last 15 years of finances has to get reordered again because it has worked. The game has grown exponentially in all facets. Even when people said, we're never watching again, they did, just like football. The cap is going to continue to go, but they're going to slow play it. I don't believe Adam Silver will ever balloon that cap again, which means teams can budget properly, which means more trades should happen, which means more smaller extensions like this should happen which means the transactions should continue to pile and pile and pile, which is just great for the game. It's good for players. It's really good for roster construction, for teams that want to make a quick change on the fly, mid-season, off-season. It's really good for players who need to get out of town. So the player empowerment stuff, in my opinion, should go nowhere because the cap is going to continue to budgetly rise. The league is in really good financial shape from a health perspective, maybe even getting bigger globally. And players like this, Right, your Beals, your McCollum's, maybe your R.J. Barrett's. We'll see where that heads. But those kind of players who just haven't progressed to that top, top elite level, you're going to have to see them start to make some financial sacrifices. And I'm not saying $32 million a year is a big sacrifice, but in the grand scheme of things, it is. It is, especially when he knows he's playing with a with a group of kids in there, and he could have easily said, "I'm the I'm the big boy here. I need to max out." or I'm not going to sign this extension early. I'm going to wait and see how things play off. And I have to force myself off this roster. I will. There's a lot of guys in the league that would go, would take that approach. 
He didn't. I think this is a good trend for, for basketball. I like that there's a, med- a middle ground happening. And by the way, I think this is where the quarterback position has to get to eventually. Because we can't just say all or nothing. We can't, it can't just be 45 a year or you're cut. And good luck finding a minimum backup role. So I hope that, again, very different leagues, very different financial structures. But I hope that some of these other leagues understand. And by the way, front offices and GMs and owners understand that we can't just be all or nothing. We can't just pay three guys and then a bunch of minimums contracts, Lakers, and expect that those three guys can make it all work, regardless of the discussion I just had with Aaron Rodgers, right? Because that's exactly the conversation I was having. We can't expect that to be the norm, the, the way that we build rosters in any of these major leagues. There's going have to have to be a point where we accept player and team, accepts, all right, 20% of the maximum is just where I'm going to be. And if I can get that with a team that's contending, or if I can get that with a team that drafted me and I want to stay here, I'll accept that. So I think this is just another example, a small example in McCollum of an organization knowing who they are, very Cleveland Guardians discussion here, but the Pelicans know who they are, know who they could be with with a healthy Zion and are giving everybody on board here. McCollum, you're here. You already showed us what what your value is. We're willing to go north of 30 million even though your projected value may be 35, maybe a little higher. But this is the kind of role we need you in. We'll give you a $2 million kicker here and there to, to get you out of here if we need to. But we want you here within this window of contention through Zion's next extension. It's just good stuff. I love to see it. It's those little simple idiosyncrasies that kind of pique my interest in any of these sports. And uh, as we approach the, the real deal here with basketball, both hockey and basketball preseasons are basically uh, right around the corner here. Hockey started today for the most part. It's really time to start diving into some of these rosters and understanding who could be that next Jacksonville Jaguars, right? Or and who may be the next Tennessee Titans who go from number one seed to falling off a cliff right in front of our eyes, at least early on here. We'll be watching it all. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash track for 40% off that first year subscription. Download the app and enjoy plenty of great content across all of these sports. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast.